Well, good morning. We're going to do things a little bit different order today. We have a baptismal service. Welcome to those of you who are guests. I'm getting a little bit of an echo behind me, Haley, on the monitors. And so uh, we're going to do some more singing after the sermon today, and then we're going to go as a congregation, and we'll go back to the baptismal in the, in the fellowship hall. But I uh, just want to let you know what a blessing it is to be with you this morning. Last week, Angie and I did, but I appreciate your prayers and appreciate all the encouragement that uh, I received from you. Uh, Angie and I had a little bit of a double hit. We went to Abby's graduation, and we got the flu. And then I went to my aunt's funeral um, right as I was starting the flu and um, didn't really realize it. And one of my cousins came and uh, shared this, uh, this COVID merry-go-round. And so we got the double whammy. But um, uh, we both had mild cases compared to many others. And, and actually, I felt like the flu was worse than the other. But, but I just want to say thank you uh, for your prayers. And, and thank you as a church for, uh, for acting like the church is supposed to act. Uh, for loving one another, for caring for one another. And I just want you to know I pre- really appreciate our, our office staff operating like the machine that they are. Uh, it, it's a great comfort to me as a pastor to know that when I experience trials, just like we all do, uh, and like we have this last couple weeks, that I can, I can rest. Uh, and I, I was able to completely rest. Number one, because I know that our, our God is sovereign and on anything by about it in the first place. But, but also, I, I have the confidence in the of our church and Jared and Tammy and Cindy as they as they work well as a team, but also in you. And I, I just I am blessed um, to be a part of a body that loves our Lord and loves one another. And so I just want to express my gratitude to our Lord and my joy, which is you. Thank you. Um, let's pray together. Lord God, we we turn our attention to your word during this time and as we continue through the book of Hebrews. It is my prayer that You would soften each one of our hearts. I pray that as Your Word changes our life, as Your Spirit uses it to to help us to see what our physical eyes cannot see. Father, it's my prayer that, that we would realize the horribleness of sin, the the vastness of the sacrifice and the offering that You made, that Your Son made when He died on the cross. Father, it is my prayer that, that our hearts would be soft towards sin and to Your Spirit's work in our lives. I pray that we would have ears to hear. And that our lives would be changed as we humble ourselves before You. I pray that those that might be here that haven't come into a relationship with You, that they would realize the horribleness of sin as well and that they would realize and understand the incredible gift that was given to them in Jesus' death on the cross. For those that haven't walked with You, that are followers of Jesus Christ, I pray that we would see sin as it is. I I pray that that You would um, help us to see sin in our own lives. Not always looking for it in someone else, but seeing how horrible our sin is. Might we glorify You as we serve You. As we worship You. As we look forward to being in Your presence. And so please teach us during this time to pray. Amen. Well, it was three weeks ago, we looked at the first ten verses of chapter 9 in Hebrews. Uh, we took a tour in that past Old Testament tabernacle, the tent where the people came to worship God. And, and when, when God gave the plan for the tabernacle, and He provided 
the law, detailing how the priests had to carry out that work. He, he, showed, he showed to them that he's holy. He showed that he's not to be treated flippantly and that we don't get to make up the rules for how we want to have a relationship with him. He's a God who desires relationship with us, but, but he doesn't come to us and say, however you want to come to me is fine. He didn't say to Cain and Abel that both of their ways Whatever you want to do, he showed us how to have a relationship with him. He invited relationship, but the approach was specific. In the same way, today, he invites us into relationship, but we don't get to make up the rules. We don't get to make up how that relationship is formed. And in Scripture, Jesus unequivocally claims that he is the way, and we don't get to come up with a creative alternative. We noted from Hebrews chapter 9 that one of the barriers to a relationship with our Creator is that sin must be atoned for. And so in the Old Testament, there was a temporary program in which animals were sacrificed over and over and over again by the Levitical priests. It's, uh, it's far distance from the world that we live in. And sometimes as we read Exodus and Leviticus and we see this system, uh, it's something that oftentimes I don't think we can compare to uh, and, and, and understanding the, the perpetual nature of these animals that were sacrificed and the blood that was shed on a daily basis. We saw that there, you know, there was blood everywhere. And, and it was always a, a horrible, gruesome reminder that, that our sin, sin broke our relationship with God. And death was the penalty. And so innocent animals were offered to atone for the sins of the people. That, that blood covered their sin until such a time that God would provide a permanent solution for our sin problem. And the Gospels describe to us how that permanent solution came in the form of our Savior who offered Himself on the cross. So in verses 1-10, through 10, seems like an age ago that we were, we were there. I know I was gone for the last couple weeks. Um, but verses 1-10, through 10, it really laid the groundwork for the second half of the chapter which we'll examine today. In chapter 9, we discover a comparison. It's a comparison between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Here we discover a contrast between the Old Mosaic Law Code, the Old Mosaic Covenant given at Mount Sinai, and there we saw that the law was written on tablets of stone. And that is contrasted with the New Covenant. Described in Jeremiah chapter 31, instituted by Jesus, when he said that, that this is the new covenant in my blood. And in the new covenant, we see that God writes his law on human hearts. We saw that the new covenant is better covenant. Let me just remind you from chapter 8. We saw that the new covenant is unconditional. That means that man's failure to keep any, any commands that, that have been given cannot nullify the promise covenant, if man failed his end of the covenant, then there were consequences for that. In the new covenant, we found that it was internal. Rather than a list of regulations, God is instead transforming us from the inside out. He's changing our heart rather than the outward flesh. The new covenant we saw is personal. We have a relationship with the Lord who resides with us, and the new covenant is better in that it finalizes the forgiveness of sin rather than just covers it. Now, as we turn our attention to Hebrews chapter 9, I, you know, I, I love a good story. I, um, like many of you, I, I enjoy a good movie, uh, drama, suspense. 
good character development. But, but one of the things that, that really turns me off in, in a story is the gratuitous violence that our culture embraces and perpetuates. You look at modern video games and movies and TV shows and cinema, and we see that it's just it's normalized. Violence and death is normalized, which of course plays a major role in the tragedies that continually play out in our schools and in our cities. But it seems like there are, there are more and more shows and movies that add blood and gore just, just so they can get that 18-plus rating. And our, and our culture thrives on it. But I, I, I so dislike it. I, I, I know that it's all fake, but, but death shouldn't be so flippant. It shouldn't be so casual. And that's part of why I've, I never pursued a career in medicine. Um, I appreciate those who do. But when it comes to scalpels and needles and anything that, yeah, we don't have to go there, right? Um, blood. Not for me. I appreciate those who do. I'm thankful for those who do, but I know that that's not my career of choice. I also appreciate hunters and butchers. I have a father-in-law who ran a meat locker for many years. appreciate the work that he did. I appreciate the animals that give their life so that I can enjoy a great ribeye once in a while. But, having said that, I don't have a heart for the process. I, I, I don't enjoy the process. Blood and death, um, I don't... And, and making putting that ribeye on my table. Blood and death, it should shock us to some extent. And the dying pulse of an animal being bled out, warm blood on your hands, though they've been given for our it should still remind us every single time that, that all this because today we come to a passage in the book of Hebrews that has a lot to say about blood. Alone is mentioned 11 times just in chapter 9, verses 11 through 28. And I know that we've read a lot of these passages in the Bible so many times, and we, we, we read about blood, and we read about the blood of Jesus, and we read Exodus. In Leviticus, and we, we read about these sacrifices, and we read about what Jesus suffered there. And I know that we have a, a tendency to many times give it, that we, we've totally given it this rated G treatment. And, and we picture these Old Testament sacrifices as if those calves and those goats were just kind of euthanized quietly. And, and then they just laid there, and then the sacrifice was clean. And we forget about the smells. We forget about the splattered priestly garments and the dying sounds of an animal bleeding out. We forget that we forget that death is sacrifice is messy and that every time an animal was offered under that Old Testament covenant, that Old Testament system, that it was a it served as a most vivid reminder that my sin did that. My sin did that. Every Old Testament sacrifice reminded the one who was offering the animal to, to the priest and to God that sin requires death. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And the sacrificial system went on and on under the Old Covenant and every death reminded the people that we have a problem. We have a horrible us from our creator. Sin is ugly. 
And sin is gruesome, and it is just as gruesome as the death that it brings. And this horrible enemy, sin, it separates us from our God. Specifically, our passage talks about today and touches on some of the different aspects of of the separation that that sin creates. As you look through the passage, you'll see that sin separates us from a pure service before the living God. Sin, it separates us from being able to truly worship a holy God who wants to have a relationship with us, but, but sin prevents us from worshiping Him. And sin separates us from enjoying the very presence of God who wants us to experience that presence, but can't allow it unless there is a sacrifice. And that Old Testament system of sacrifices and offerings was designed to show us our need to have a relationship with Him. A need for that relationship to be restored. We need redemption. We need forgiveness. We need salvation. And without God making a way, we remain helpless. We remain dead in our sin. And so again, verses 1 through 10, we discovered that the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, God had given Israel the first covenant with its regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness. And so as we read the first part of our passage, let's back up to verse 9 just to find our place in the passage. Please join me. Chapter 9, verse 9. He says, According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink. Various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, once for all into the whole of goats, blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Uh oh. Are we. All right, we're going to take a quick commercial break. All right. If that continues to be a problem, just let me know and I'll grab the uh, microphone over here. Can you hear me now? Yeah. All right. Jesus appeared, and, and we're told here that He is a high priest of the good things to come. All the benefits that you have in Christ today. The new covenant was promised to Israel and in Christ these good things have been initiated. As we've been talking about covenants, uh, Jeremiah 31 talks about this new covenant. Now it's a covenant that was intended for Israel. It's a covenant that God will fulfill those promises to the nation of Israel. And ultimately, that the fulfillment of that is still in the future, but the beautiful thing of what Jesus has done in instituting the church is that we get to, we get to experience and taste it now. We, we are getting a preview, and to, we get to be a part of the good things that will one day be fulfilled in His kingdom. And these good things that have come are available because Jesus makes a better offering. As we've been going through the book of Hebrews, we, we've seen how, how Jesus is superior. Jesus is better than. And we saw how Jesus was better than the angels. He's superior to Moses. He's superior to the Old Testament system. He's superior. He's a superior high priest. And, and as we look through these chapters, we see that Jesus brings a better offering. And, and we learned back in chapter 5 that this was one of the responsibilities of a high priest. To offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. 
And the author of Hebrews keeps on coming back to this concept where we were reminded in chapter 8, verse 3, that every high priest, whether it was an Old Testament high priest under the Old Covenant or our New Testament high priest, Jesus, who's under the New Covenant, that every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus, it, was, it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. And so Hebrews has been up on this concept and anticipating our passage today. And so that brings us to this contrast between the Old Covenant and its offerings and the New Covenant with the better offering that Jesus brings. Verses 11-12 through summarizes this contrast and it focuses on three things. It focuses on blood, the place, and a decisive offering. I want you to say those with me. They're, they're there in your outline, but let's get those in our head. As we go through Hebrews chapter 9, he talks first about blood, he talks about a place, and he talks about decisive sacrifice. These are the three things that he's going to contrast between these two covenants. The blood of the Old Covenant and the blood of the New Covenant. The place of the Old Covenant and the place of the New Covenant. The, 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 the sacrifice that was offered over and over and over again under the Old Testament and the decisive once-for-all sacrifice that Jesus made in the New, te- the new, the new Covenant. First of all, we see that Jesus brings a better offering because he, is not the, uh, because he is not the temporary offerings, bringing the temporary offerings of the blood of bulls and goats, but He has brought one of eternal redemption. We see that number two, Jesus brings a better offering because He's not focused on an earthly place, but He has made a, His offering gone into a more perfect place in the heavens. And number three, Jesus brings a better offering because His sacrifice was decisive. It was once for all. Let's look at the first reason Jesus brings a better offering. The blood. The blood of the new covenant is different. Hebrews chapter 9 has a lot to say, as I mentioned, about blood. In fact, the bulk of our passage will focus on this. We have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus so that we may now truly serve the living contrast between the two covenants in verses 13 and 14. He says, For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Now again, Hebrews emphasizes the necessity of death. In the same way, the Mosaic Law emphasized the necessity of death. Every sacrifice that was made, it reiterated that our sin did not. You remember the Passover in Egypt? As the plagues were coming to a close and the the, the people were about to receive their freedom, toward the end of the plagues, each family took a little lamb and they took that lamb into their home. Imagine some of them had the um, courage to even name it, maybe. It's a no-no, right? Don't name the pets that you're going to eat. But this lamb would come in, and they'd take care of it. And every year after that, they would celebrate this, this Passover meal. And on the tenth day, they would select a lamb, a perfect lamb, without blemish. No broken bones, no disease. And they would keep it for four days. The children would see this lamb and they'd take care of it. They'd feed the lamb and the whole family would participate. And then on the 14th day, the lamb would be killed at twilight. And every family member every year would see this and they would care for this cute little lamb for, 
for four days, and then the head of the house would take that lamb to be slaughtered. And every single time, it was a vivid reminder for every single man, every single woman, and every single child that something caused the death of something that was so pure and so innocent and so sweet that could be so loved. And sin brought death. Every time a sin offering or a burnt offering or a guilt offering was made, it was a reminder that sin brings death. And it should have been our death for our sin. Every Passover, it shouldn't have been that lamb. It should have been me. Every time somebody took a sin offering to the tabernacle or later on to the temple, it should have been them that was dying for their sin, guilty and paying the penalty for their sin. Penalty that was beyond what they could pay with their own blood. But instead, something else took their place. A lamb or a goat or a bull paid the price. And Hebrews specifically focuses on the offerings that were made on the Day of Atonement. But again, purification was, was made not by my life being spilled out, but by that substitute that, was, that took the price instead. And so, Hebrews talks about how death was necessary. But, but there was a problem. Verse 13 notes that these sacrifices were for the purification of the flesh. These sacrifices were, were merely external. They were symbolic. They couldn't wash away ultimately the sins of the people. And so every time they, they killed one of those lambs, every time they killed one of those bulls, that blood would only cover up the sin. It would only deal with the problem temporarily. But the blood covered their sin. Contrast this with the Old Covenant. Excuse me. <coughs> Pardon me. If you contrast this Old Covenant with the blood of the New Covenant, though, again, a sacrifice was made, but this time, it was not the temporary offerings of animals. Instead, Jesus offered Himself the perfect sacrifice. And His offering of the blood of Christ, this offering of the blood of Christ purified our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Now, that terminology that he uses here, it goes back to the terminology of Jeremiah chapter 31 that he quoted back in chapter 8. This is the covenant in which God will put the law not on tablets of stone, but where does God put His law now? Internalized. He writes it on the tablets of our hearts. Offers a better his offering is better because it brought about eternal redemption. Not just temporary offerings that temporarily covered the problem and then another offering had to be made later on again. And so this is why in verse 15 he can say, therefore, He is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgression committed under the first covenant. You see, under the old covenant, the people had a problem, a huge problem. Because it was a conditional covenant, they had agreed at Mount Sinai. Do you remember the passage? He says, this is, this is how we're going to do things. This is going to be my relationship with you as your king and you as my people. And the people says, we'll do it. We'll do it. And then they broke the covenant. And under that covenant, there was a penalty. They lost the blessings of the covenant because they had transgressed the terms of the covenant. They had agreed that if they broke the covenant, their transgression 
didn't just call for penalties. It didn't just call for hard times. It called for death. And they were cursed. And so the priests would make offerings over and over and over again to cover the sins of the people. But now, under this new covenant that Hebrews is talking about, Jesus has brought about a complete reversal of the situation. By offering Himself, we're told that Jesus actually took the curse that belonged to the people and He took it upon Himself. The curse that belonged to you for your sin. The curse that belonged to me for my sin, Jesus took upon Himself. William Lane writes, In His death, Jesus identified Himself with the transgressor and He took upon Himself the curse sanctions of the covenant that were invoked whenever the stipulations of the covenant were ignored. In an act of supreme obedience, Jesus died a representative death as the cursed One so that those whom He represents may receive the blessings of the covenant promised to those who obey its mandates. Jesus took our place. Now, we're not going to have time today to to dive into all the details of verses 16-21. through There's a lot here, but I'd like us to read through this together. And he begins by illustrating a general principle about wills, like your last will and testament. Um, For those of you who are taking a deeper dive into these verses, I know a lot of you are rereading these passages and looking at things afterwards, uh, make a note for yourself that that this word that's used here regarding a, a person's last will, their last testament, it's the same word that we've been using through this entire book for covenant. Will and covenant. It's the same Greek word. And so he's just focusing on a different nuance of the same concept. Uh, and Hebrews is approaching that concept from a different angle in verses 16 and 17. But let's read what it has to say. He goes on and says, For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For will takes effect only at death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, this is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And the blood, both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And so essentially, Hebrews is combining a few incidences from Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers where offerings were made for the people, for the purification of the tabernacle and and the different utensils that they were using. What you need to take from this is that there's a lot of blood everywhere. Sin had brought death, and in order for God's presence to be among the people in the camp, God wanted to have a relationship with them. And in a beautiful display of that relationship, He says, I'm going to come camp with you. You pitch your tent, and I'm going to pitch my tent right there with you. I'm going to be with you. I want a relationship with you. I want to walk with you. Everywhere that we go in the wilderness, I'm going to be there with you. But in order for that to happen, Something had to be done about their sin. The camp had to be purified. The tent of, the, of meeting, the, the, the tabernacle, had to be purified. And all that was done with blood. At Mount Sinai, they built these altars that represented each of the tribes of Israel. And that covenant that they made where He said, I'm your king. And they said, we're your people. It was ratified between God and His people. And just like He had done with Abraham where He took each of those carcasses and they 
shed the blood of animals. And then God walked through that path of animals we talked about. And a covenant was made between God and Abraham. In the same way, the people, there was a sacrifice and there was blood and there was altars. And a covenant was made between the people of Israel and God there at Mount Sinai. At Mount Sinai, when the covenant was ratified between God and His people, offerings were made. And Moses sprinkled not only the altars, not only the book of the law, which we were told about here, not only the utensils in the tabernacle, but the people were also covered with blood. I, I, I remember watching Charlton Heston's Ten Commandments. and I, I don't remember that scene represented. Does anybody? They, they didn't cover that one, did they? It, it was It was gruesome. It was bloody. But every single person that day was taught a most vivid lesson as they looked at the camp and they looked at one another and, and, and they looked at this horrible mess. There was this vivid lesson that their sin had brought death. Unless an offering was made on their behalf, they could not approach a holy God to bring Him true worship. And I want you to understand that the death of Christ was also gruesome and bloody. For those of you who have watched Mel Gibson's The Passion, that rendition is toned down compared to what our Savior experienced for us. And so, we have a world that, that hates the idea of sacrifice. This concept of, of, of being rejected by God this concept of, a, of an animal being sacrificed or a, the Son of God being sacrificed is a concept that the world rejects. They reject the idea, the idea and the concept that Jesus would offer Himself in our place. But that's the heart of the Gospel. It's the heart of the good news is that I couldn't pay the price. And God in His great love for me stepped down and He came into this world and He did what I could not do. He offered what you could not offer. What the world does not understand is how gruesome and awful our sin is. The world pretends that sins are just mistakes. Transgression is just part of being human. But the Bible is abundantly clear that our sin is gruesome. Our sin is horrible. My plea is that you wouldn't walk away today without understanding the violent nature of your own sin. Not just your association with the human race, I know a lot of us don't want to identify with the human race in these days. Not just our identification with the human race and our association with it. That's not the only thing that makes us guilty, but your guilt before a God who hates sin with utmost loathing. I don't know anyone who's trying to justify what happened in that fourth grade classroom earlier this week. We hear about that. We're appalled by that. We're sickened by it. We are revolted by the evil that was committed upon those children. And I hear people crying out for justice. We, we cry out for those families. But I want you to understand that if you think that your sin is somehow less offensive to a holy God, then you've misunderstood the nature of your evil and depraved heart. Your sin is revolting. My sin is wretched and horrible. And if I think that, that my sin is somehow less repulsive than what that man did this week, then I have a wrong understanding of how horrible my sin is. 
The only solution that I have, the only solution that you have is to throw yourself at the mercy of the God who offered Him in your place. Justice must be had out. God demands it. He pours out His wrath on sin. And unless there is someone to take His wrath for you, unless there is someone who is willing to pay the price that you ultimately can't pay, then we are subjects of that wrath. The only solution is to throw ourselves at His mercy. Our only hope of forgiveness is to believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ who was battered and beaten beyond recognition and who shed His blood while being nailed to a gruesome Roman cross. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Briefly, I want you to notice the second reason why Jesus brings a better offering. Jesus' offering as our high priest is, is greater because His offering is not focused on an earthly place, but a more perfect place in the heavens. Look at verses 23 and 24 with me. Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ is entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Hebrews has spent a bit of time earlier on explaining how the tabernacle that was built by Moses and the Israelites was just a copy of the real thing that's in heaven. It was an imitation, a shadow of what was in the presence of God. And here Hebrews notes that, that the copies here on earth were purified with the blood of goats and bulls. But Jesus' greater offering under the new covenant, we see that Jesus has ascended into heaven and He's entered that true tabernacle in the heavenly places to make a greater purification. Not because the heavenly tabernacle is flawed, but because our sin prevents us from worshiping before a holy God. And it has to be purified because, once again, of our sin. By offering Himself, Jesus has made purification for our sins and now He leads us into the very presence of our Creator. And I want you to notice that this isn't just a future promise. Oftentimes we think of, okay, the presence of God. One day, I'll be able to experience the presence of God and, and, and be in His presence. But according to the New Testament, that is a present reality for those who are in Christ. And though we long to see Him face to face, and though we long to be in His presence in a very real physical way with our resurrected bodies, today in a very real spiritual way, have responded in faith to Jesus Christ who died on the cross for you, then you already have access to the throne of God in a way that those under the Old Covenant never had. You already have access to the throne room. Hebrews is going to build on this later on. But finally, understand that Jesus brings a better offering because His sacrifice was decisive. It was once for all. Hebrews continues in verses 25-28 to and says, "...nor was it to offer Himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not His own, for then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. Not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. 
there's so much we could spend time on here, isn't there? There are so many things we could spend a sermon on, on each verse. But, but let me draw your attention to some of the highlights of what Hebrews is pointing out. First, notice that the contrast between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Under the Old Covenant, the high priest would enter the Holy of Holies and he would do that once every year. He would, he would first make a, a sacrifice for himself and then he would make a sacrifice for the people and then he would pass through that curtain and he would sprinkle blood on the altar, the Ark, the Ark of the Covenant. Every year he would enter again and every year he would have to make another set of sacrifices and ceremonies on the Day of Atonement. But under the New Covenant, Jesus has entered once for all. Not just an earthly tabernacle, not just a temple here on earth, but the tabernacle that's in heaven. And He's entered with His own blood. This is important for several reasons. Verse 26 notes that if Jesus' sacrifice on the cross was not sufficient as a one-time offering, then Jesus would have had to die over and over and over again. Every year. Every, every day of atonement, just like the animals did when the high priest offered them throughout the Old, Old Testament. But not only was Jesus' death on the cross once and for all sufficient for all the sins of the future, but notice the phrase that he uses here, from the foundation of the world. Hebrews is also showing us that Jesus' death on the cross not only put away the sins of the future, but it also put away and dealt with all the sins of the past. Many people have made the mistake in thinking that people somehow in the Old Testament that they were saved by their good works. That somehow they, they performed all these sacrifices and they followed the law and that's what saved them. But that, that's a false gospel and the Bible condemns it. Every believer in the Old Testament was saved by God's grace through faith. Just like we are today under the New Covenant. The only difference is that Old Testament saints were looking forward to God's provision that He would one day make for them on the cross. They didn't know how. They didn't know when. They didn't know the circumstances when Jesus was going to come. They didn't know that His name was going to be called Jesus. But they knew that one day God would provide for their sins. Not just cover up their sins with the blood of goats and bulls, but somehow God would wash away their sins and give them a new heart. And we, the New Testament saints, rather than looking forward to Jesus coming and offering Himself on a cross, we look back to what He's already accomplished. Understand that salvation has always been the same. Adam and Eve. Abel. Abraham. Moses. The people of Israel in the wilderness. David. The prophets. Salvation has always been by grace through faith as one looks to God's provision. Ultimately, the provision that Jesus made on the cross. The Old Testament sacrifices were merely a demonstration of their faith that covered their sin until the time that Jesus would come and finally wash away their sins. And this He did once for all to put away sin by sacrifice. The sacrifice of Himself. The final implication that's made here is that because Jesus made a greater offering with His blood and because He has entered the heavenly places and completed the work once for all, His sacrifice has been accepted. God's wrath has been satisfied. And because of this, Jesus will appear again. The first time He appeared, He dealt with sin. When He returns and appears again, He will bring about our final salvation and ultimately, He will remove us from the very presence of sin itself. 
There's a picture that's, that's going on here in chapter 9. As we look at this old covenant where the high priest would go in and he would make these sacrifices. And the people would wait in anticipation. In fact, if you read some of the other passages and you look at some of the history, uh, you learn that they, they would put bells around the high priest's ankle. And he would be tied to a rope. Because if he died in the Holy of Holies, nobody could go in and get him. And so he would have to be drug out if he had somehow offended God in there. And so uh, they would put bells on his ankle to make sure that he was still moving around in there. If the bell stopped, they knew there was a problem. And so uh, the people would look forward in anticipation. And the high priest would go in and he would, he would sprinkle the Ark of the Covenant. And then he would come out on, uh, on that Day of Atonement. And it was a time of celebration. And it was a time of, of great glory. And, and there's a description in, in the, um, around 200 B.C. of one of the high priests and how the people responded. And when he came out, there, there was a great fanfare and, and it was a wonderful celebration. And we have the same thing. Not, not a priest who has bells around his ankle. But we have a high priest who's gone into the Holy of Holies. And we're waiting for him to return and appear again. The Day of Atonement was a beautiful celebration of God's provision for our sin. But then a year later, every single time they would repeat the process, our High Priest has also entered the Holy of Holies in this true tabernacle. And like the saints of old, we wait for our High Priest to appear again. But in the case of Jesus, His work is finished. When He appears, our salvation will become finally and fully realized. This morning, as we, as we discuss what it means to die to our sin and to live for Christ, what it means to believe in Jesus Christ and respond in faith to what He did on the cross, I can think of no better way than of, of enjoying the beauty of what this passage is telling us about what Jesus did for our sin than to celebrate uh, in, in, in um, three baptisms. Uh, we have three children in our church who uh, have uh, I've sat down and talked with them. I, I love I love talking with the kids. Um, there's, there's a simplicity of faith. Uh, you, you share the gospel with with people around the world, and and over and over and over you hear people say, "Well, you know, I, I'm be good enough. I, I think I can prove my way to God." But but children have heard the gospel and they understand, and and, and there's a simplicity in their faith of. There's nothing I can do. I believe in Jesus, what He did for me. And so as I've, as I've talked with, uh, with each of the three that are going to be baptized this morning, uh, what, what a blessing it is to hear their testimony of their faith. Uh, some really good theology in these conversations from, from children that are seven years and older. And um, who understand what Hebrews chapter 9 is discussing. So what we're going to do as we continue our service, the, the praise team is going to go ahead and come on up. And uh, we're going to sing two more songs uh, while those that are being baptized are going to go back to the back. And in our church, we don't have a baptismal up here on our stage. Our, our baptismal is actually in the fellowship hall. If you're visiting to us today, um, what we're going to do is we're going to continue our service in the other room. And so after we're done singing, uh, Scott's going to dismiss us. I'm going to ask all of you to come uh, out to the fellowship hall and please come all the way in. There's several seats up front for family members and for those that need a chair uh, and would like to get a little bit closer up. Um, but come on in and make sure everybody's able to come into the fellowship hall. And uh, we're going to conclude our service in the other room as we celebrate the offering that Jesus Christ made for us and the sacrifice that He made on behalf of our sins.
Please stand with us as we continue in song. Oh, fount of love.